It's the morning show that no one knows and no one is talking about. I said no one is talking about, but if they did, they'd probably say it's the best way to start today with Rach and Dave. Well, well, well. Good morning. Good morning, humans of the internet. My name is Dave. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, coming to you from the office of the hallowed halls of the Hollis Company. Rolling solo one more day. Oh, Dave, where's Rachel? I agree. Trust me. I agree with you. Where is she? She's got one more day of shooting. Uh, she has been on a shooting bonanza uh, for her show on Quibi, uh, which comes out here in April. They uh, are wrapping up shooting the first 70 episodes of the first 150 episodes of what uh, who knows? Maybe the universe will need thousands and thousands of episodes of Rachel Hollis doing what she honestly was put on this dang planet for. So I am uh, excited for her and for it. Uh, welcome. Good morning. It's Wednesday. Can we talk about the weather? I don't mean to get into such a controversial topic, but we have to go there, people. Uh, there was lightning in my small town of Dripping Springs last night. Uh, how do I know? Well, <laughs> the thunder that comes after the lightning is how I know, and I have small human beings. You ever have lightning come at, I don't know, say 2, 2.15 a.m. and just completely ruin every single bit of what was previously a perfectly good night of sleep? Well, that happened to us last night because there was thunder following the lightning and uh, Noah Hollis. You've seen this Noah Hollis. She's precious in every way except at 2.16 a.m. when she is hysterical about thunder and lightning. There was no calming this child down. There was no calming this child down. You may, in fact, know uh, of this if you have children and have ever been anywhere near uh, thunder and lightning. So uh, we both tried, bless it, we both tried to calm the nerves of small, wonderful monster Noah. And in fact, uh, there was no calming anything. She was, uh, she was terrified. So you do what you did. Uh, uh, I brought her into our room so that she could uh, fall asleep like a peaceful baby angel right next to us. And that was a terrible plan. I'm going to be honest, we have been out of the business of having kids who have nightmares needing to come into our room for uh, quite a while. And frankly, uh, judge me if you'd like, when my kids come into our room and they're like, hey, I've had a nightmare, we're like, it's not real. There are no monsters. Shake it off. Believe in yourself. Get back in your room. But uh, Noah's two. So she does not respond as well to the motivational pep talk when she is having a nightmare or being terrified by the sound of thunder that is crashing outside of her window. And so uh, guess what? She's in the small window where we're going to have to let her cuddle on up. Go ahead. Come on in. And uh, we're now it's 2.18 a.m. Everyone's tired. Good night. Let's get back to sleep. And she starts having a conversation, right? Like she thinks, oh, well, since we're hanging out, maybe we can dive into it and just like jump in and uh, get connected on all the things that we've missed in the last weeks with the time. No, that is not in fact what is supposed to happen at 2.18 a.m. Noah Hollis, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and lay on back down and go to sleep. 
At about 2.21 a.m., that was when there was the recognition that we'd left Noah Jr. in the crib, which was less about Noah needing her baby, but uh, more about her being worried about whether Noah Jr. was terrified of the thunder in the crib by herself. Far be it for me to allow Noah Jr. to go through the trauma that could potentially leave her scarred for years and years, I had to rush without my glasses on when I can't see down the old hall to find Noah Jr. She'd been fine, thank you very much. Uh, I got her back into the room. So it's now 2.27 a.m., right? Some time has passed, things have been quiet for a second. And now Noah Jr. apparently needed a pep talk. I didn't even know, frankly, that Noah and Noah Jr. get engaged in this kind of dialogue, but in fact, 227, remember 227, the old show on NBC? Doesn't matter, 227 a.m., Noah decides to Rachel Hollis Noah Jr. She's like, it's okay, Noah Jr. It's okay, baby, you're okay, you can be strong. And I was like, okay, on the one hand, I am here for this. Yes, I need you to breathe life into Noah Jr., make her believe that she is capable of persevering through thunder, Please, Noah, bless her with your confidence, but it's 2.27. We're in the same room, like we're in a bed where you are supposed to be asleep and you are motivational speaking, you're yell talking to Noah Jr., 2.27 a.m.? That's not gonna work. So we got to about 2.32 and I couldn't have it anymore. Right, like I'd like uh, people to Rachel Hollis, uh, their best friends all day long, but not in my bed, not at that time of the day. And so I then had to take her back into a room. Mama got to get up and do some shooting today. Yeah, I got things to do, but Mama got to get up and do some shooting. So uh, I took her back into a room and held her for about four minutes of time. And thankfully, thank you, weather. Thank you, God. Thank you, everything. Uh, the storm passed, no more lightning, and uh, got her some milk, put her back down, and then uh, was able to fall back to sleep. I really am just looking for some sympathy, people, at around 2.27 p.m. today. My 2.27 a.m. moment is gonna come and haunt me in the afternoon when I'm wondering why I gotta have my third dang cup of coffee, and now you know, and now you know. Welcome, good morning, it's Wednesday. I know that there is alarm, in the universe when you turn on Rachel Hollis's Instagram or Facebook page and you see this mug. I don't blame you for being alarmed. I'd be alarmed too. My name is Dave. I happen to be married to Rachel who is not here. She's shooting a show in real time. It's what happens. I know, honestly, can we just for a second, look at this. I have an art of, I have a piece of art of my best friend in the entire universe, the, the most important person in my entire life. Uh, I love this. I love this Bronco more than any human individual I've ever met. That's not true. I just told you a story about my wife and my daughter. But uh, that's my Bronco. I love my Bronco. Bless it. Bless it. Uh, it's an interesting thing. I was thinking as I was driving into the office this morning, what could I possibly, what, Dave, could you possibly talk about to strangers on the internet that have become friends over time this morning? Uh, and I and I want to talk about one uh, interesting thing that popped into my head, and that is in uh, the life coaching group that uh, we are doing. If you're in the life coaching community, K 
Cannot wait to see you tonight. We're going to dive into our conversation around identity. Uh, we dove into and had uh, a, a class around this idea of identity in the month of February for the Life Coaching Group. And we have these different modules that people go through. And then tonight we have this live session. And in the modules, we like first started with this conversation around the stories that we tell. Uh, next, we like really dive into what your core values are and how you, in defining your core values, know how to show up consistently to have those values and your actions align. And we talked about like really being comfortable assessing where you are and then got into this idea of if then, like if you say you want this life, then you have to do these things. So uh, I like, man, I love our coaching. I love the community that's been created. If you're interested, you should definitely join it. It is, um, it is well worth the time and frankly, well worth the money. But one of the things that I thought was interesting against the backdrop of the stories that we tell ourselves, I, about a month ago, had someone from a part of the past that I came out of uh, transition into, uh, before, I, before I transitioned from uh, the Walt Disney Company to here, I, I worked in entertainment, right? And someone who was regularly a part of my having conversation, right, uh, called me and said, hey, I read your book. So a reporter from a, a publication that covers the media business had been given a copy of my book and she read the book and she liked the book and she wanted to talk to me about the book. And I was, man, like, I'm excited about you, this person from my past, getting a chance to read it and actually enjoying it. And oh man, this is exciting, right? Identity is what we're talking about. In case you got thrown off for a second, identity. So, so I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I can't, yeah, I would love to talk to you. So we do a long interview. We, I mean, we talked for like an hour's worth of time. She asked me every question about every chapter, all the things. And I'm like, this is so great because, and I can see this now, this part of my ego that was interested in having someone who has authority or credibility inside of the space I left, wanting to talk to me and affirm some of what I did in writing the book and some of what I'm doing in my life now was excited about the chance for her to do some storytelling on my behalf. Like I can see that now, right? We are all creatures that have ego driving a whole bunch of what makes us think and feel and do certain things. And I can see there was some ego in my getting excited about getting to talk to her. So we spend an hour having a conversation and she, man, like asks me every single question and I am like, whoo, so I'm down for it. And I didn't know when the article was going to publish and I didn't know what she was going to say, but you know, like having had her tell me how much she liked the book and all the time we spent in the interview, you know, asking every single question. I was like, is this like, is it a five page spread in the magazine? Is it the whole, are they dedicating the whole magazine to my book? Like we had, she asked so many questions. There were so many things. And then, uh, in the Oscar issue of this magazine, The Hollywood Reporter, the article comes out and the headline, <laughs> the headline is former, hold on, I got to, I got to hold my phone up for a second so I can see it. Former Disney exec turned self-help author, colon, my job wasn't that hard. <laughs> the, the story of all of the conversations that we had 
as much as it yet was a decent story, the the thing that she wrote, and and I love her, and she's an awesome reporter, and she did her job, right? The thing that she wrote was a story that served an audience and only that audience, and through the lens of who might be reading this, she wrote something that might have people click on that headline. Former Disney exec, basically, colon, my job was not that hard. Now, here's the thing. There is an actual line from the book, right? Of the 62,000 words that are written inside of this book, there is a single line that she is quoted uh, inside of this article. Quote, it turns out that selling Avengers and Star Wars to movie theaters isn't that hard. It was like getting straight A's without having to study. Now, 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 now. <clears throat> it is actually a line out of the book. It is, right? Like, it is a line out of the book. And I was describing in that part of the book the thing that I was being challenged by in my not being in a position to grow and the absence of my ability to grow as being something that required me then to leave an environment that was because of the strength of my team, the strength of the leadership at the Walt Disney Company, the strength of the intellectual property that was around me, the reason why I had to go chase down doing something that would unlock for me an opportunity to grow, right? So like out of context, <laughs> that article is storytelling something that isn't a full picture reflection of obviously like who I am and what I'm up to, but it is the story that matters the most to an audience that I used to afford a ton of weight to. And I tell the story not to like, who, like honestly, I, I will tell you this, it's beautiful. I do not literally care at all. What, a, what an unbelievable place to get to where a thing that I used to put so much weight in has just, I, I, I truly have gotten to a place where I don't care. More than anything, honestly, I hope the clickbait headline sells more books because there are plenty of people who read The Hollywood Reporter that absolutely should read this book. But there are people in your life that you have afforded weight to, that you have um, looked to to help story tell some of the pieces of your life and that need, that want for them to affirm you, that need, that want for them to story tell to a community of people a version of your story is probably driven like it was for me and my excitement originally in getting the outreach by ego, right? And the story that they, whoever the they is, the story that they tell will be a partial chapter in a very long book that is the story of your life. And it will be a chapter that actually serves either them or the audience that they are telling this story to and not necessarily you. And so you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful how you put weight in the storytellers out there of the world, right? Their interests, their, their reasons, whether it's about wanting to have clicks or being interested in serving an audience, right? Like I left, I left something and it didn't make sense to the people that I left because the value that they put in the construct that I walked away from was something that was 
challenging in some way the idea of leaving it in the first place. And for every single person that still works in that business, man, I got mad respect for you. That's awesome. I hope that it is affording you the fulfillment that you deserve. I hope it's affording you the kind of like growth and, and, and the opportunity to feel uh, a sense of fulfillment every single day. When I decided that I needed to leave what I knew for what I needed, I had to do it at the expense of it totally making sense to people that I left behind. And this article, in part, is an attempt to explain why I did something that didn't make sense. I just hope it sells more books. The bottom line of the entire story is, be careful getting too excited about someone telling a part of your story because it may be driven by ego. And if they tell anything, it may in fact just be a singular out of context piece of a broader story that doesn't fully paint a picture of who you are. Come on now, y'all. It's Wednesday. Let's finish up this start today morning extravaganza. Our last day without Rachel. Praise be. We need Rachel back in this mix with, uh, with some questions. So if you have questions, please let me know. I am interested in uh, answering any of them. Uh, can I still sign up for coaching? Yep, you can definitely still sign up for coaching. If, uh, if you are interested in joining us in the live session that's happening at 5.30 p.m. Central tonight, where we're gonna talk about all of the uh, things around identity, all the work we did on identity, uh, head over to thehollisco.com. I would love to have you join. Uh, let's see, Rise Run tickets, man, they're coming. They're coming like really soon. I wanna say they're like two weeks away they're coming. So uh, we're just, uh, we're very close. Stay tuned, we'll make sure that people know. How do you deal with other people's opinions of your growth journey? So interestingly, in the first month of the Life Coach, we talked about fear and fear of what other people are thinking is a big thing. Uh, is a big part of the conversation. And, and in that, man, I talk about this idea that if you think about all of the people that are weighing in on your personal development journey, 85% of the people that you're worried or thinking about you, frankly, just are not thinking about you at all. Like 85% of people generally are not thinking about you. 10% of people are yes, thinking about you, but are thinking about you through a lens of their fear and not truly of what is in your best interest. So I can say I fell into that 10% for Rachel when she was pursuing personal development and I was not. When she started doing it, I didn't like it, not because I didn't want her to be a better version of herself, I didn't like it because it threatened me. It created more distance between she and I, and if I'm super honest, I was intimidated or insecure about the possibility of her outgrowing me. So if someone is giving you grief about your personal development journey and you know it's in your best interest, you have to ask what their motivation is. The last 5%, just to finish the full 100% of people, the last 5% of people are people that are legitimately interested in your best interest, but probably don't yet have enough information to fully be on board with, with your why. And so it just might be something that you need to spend a little bit more time and talk to them about. But if you have someone that you love or crave love from who gives you grief about reaching for a better, best version of yourself, you need to ask why 
they feel that way. And what normally is at the root of why they feel that way is that they are not yet on board with a belief in growth being available to them also, and they are worried about your growth potentially leaving them behind or that you becoming a better version of yourself may in fact have them think differently or less than or be less attracted to them or less interested in them uh, than if you were to just stay stuck with them, right? Crabs, crabs crawling out of a boiling pot, right? Crab gets to the top of the pot. What happens? Crab reaches up and pulls that crab on back down and uh, crabs stay in the pot because of the crabs that are stuck down at the bottom always pulling someone back down. If someone's stuck at a mediocre station in their life, they will every single time try and pull you back down to their mediocre station because it feels safe for them to have uh, some solidarity in their mediocrity. Don't let them. Don't let them. Uh, what do you do? Hold on, I just saw one. Uh, what, how do you deal with toxic liars, family members, a sister? Uh, we, uh, to be totally honest and frank, we don't. Uh, we absolutely 100% show up and love every single day on our family. But when uh, we've had family that have crossed the line or that are you know, coming into our environments and not respecting our personal values, our relational values, the rules of our home, or are treating us without respect, we don't spend time with them. And uh, if they're you know, interested in doing some work and growing and then they wanna reenter our life, that's rad, but we don't. Uh, how do you deal with a negative work environment? Oh man, I don't want this to be a total plug for coaching, but I just recorded the March session of career coaching and it is, the topic is, I hate my job, now what? Uh, and it's not just for people who hate your job, it's, you know, if you find yourself someone who feels underappreciated, underpaid, has a bad manager, has personal values that are running contrary to the corporate values, uh, doesn't see a route for uh, advancement, good news. I've, uh, I've just now dropped a, a full two hours worth of content that will be made available the first Tuesday in March, so stay tuned for that. Uh, let's see here, let's see here. Can you upgrade from goal getter for life coaching uh, for monthly? Absolutely you can, Jessica. I would love for you to do that. If you go and commit to that full year, you in fact get all the benefits of goal getting. Uh, you pay less money, you get a box of goodies, including a signed book for me. So uh, yep, please do that. Uh, how do I get more info on the life coaching? If you go to theholisco.com, there's a drop down that says coaching, just hit that button. And uh, man, I would love to have you join. What are you talking about in the next coaching session? So uh, the next, Life coaching session is all about the habits that you have to embrace to unlock the life that you want. So we have intentionally stacked these courses on top of each other. We started with fear, we went into identity. And so now it's like, first know what is getting in your way, then you know, like really get connected with who you believe yourself to be. And then this third month, March, will be about how to, now that you know who you are and who you say you wanna be, how do you actually design a life that has you showing up that way consistently? On the career coaching side, we started with your personal brand at work uh, using a, an idea called operating principles. How do you have to show up consistently every single day? We then talk about emotional intelligence. And then in March, we talk about, okay, what are the parts of your job that currently you do not like? And how can you either reframe the way that you think about those things being for the advancement of your career, or how can you game uh, a, a strategy of how you can get around the things that currently act as blocks. Uh, let's see, 
What helps motivate you? Uh, Jen, I gotta be honest, I'm not that motivated. Uh, I have been very, very successful in my career and I think I've been uh, more successful certainly the last few years with my life, but I have not been uh, historically the most motivated person. I have to create routines and habits that have me doing things so consistently that on the days I don't feel like doing it, which is most days, I just get up and do it. So uh, in, the, in the coaching on the habits, I mean, I go through my ent entire morning routine. I do the entire morning routine every single day, every single day. Uh, when did you decide that your voice was worth putting out there? Well, what's interesting, my initial reaction to Rachel Hollis writing Girl Wash Your Face was to try and convince her to not publish the book. I uh, was truly terrified by her honesty and transparency in the book, some of my ego, my vanity in having created some optics on everything's great, don't, uh, everything's fantastic. We're, um, you know, in chapter five where I don't come off as being totally awesome because I wasn't in a chapter about uh, our intimate life that wasn't working perfectly. I didn't like the idea of her telling those stories and didn't think that they would actually be the resource that they were. And then I watched what happened. And then I watched the thousands and thousands and thousands of letters that have come into us about the impact of her willingly sharing her story and how the sharing of that story had them feeling less alone and connected to a set of solutions that could help them take control of their life. And so I watched the impact of her work and then asked, is there something in the way that I'm uniquely wired that maybe affords the same opportunity to bring my voice into a space. So I talk more through the lens of being a skeptic for most of my life, having more of a fixed mindset most of my life, being totally opposite in terms of the way motivation shows up in my life to my wife's, and really being honest in the way that she's been about all the things that I've done. Uh, what's weird is I thought that owning the things that aren't great in my life would be uh, the worst thing possible two years ago when she was starting to do it. And now that I have done it and do it like every single day, it is the most liberating and freeing thing in the entire world. And it is 100% the thing that connects me to every single person who is also struggling because struggle is universal. So I feel free and like I'll go, I'll go into a podcast or I'll go do an interview for like promoting the book. And they're like, all right, what would you like to talk about? What's off limits? I'm like, there is nothing off limits. If there is a thing that you've always wanted to ask an interview guest, bring it this way. You wanna to talk to me about something that I previously had a massive amount of shame for? Come at me, bro. Because I have now in the willingness to talk openly about my struggle, I've taken control of the narrative. I've taken control of the story. I am super, super proud of the way that I have not had a drink in almost 11 months. There was a time when the idea of having to admit that I had to stop drinking was just like so overwhelming for me with shame, but I, I, why would I have shame? I am strong, and if I hadn't gone through the stuff that sucked, I wouldn't be strong standing on the opposite side getting to talk about it, so bring it. If you are struggling, number one, you're human. All of us are struggling, all of us are struggling, but also when you find the courage to own your story, admit your struggle, you give yourself the opportunity to get help, and you will connect with every other person who is also struggling with your thing. 
dang it, struggle is universal, you are not alone, own your story, and you're gonna, man, have so much power in the ownership of it. With that, uh, Ellen said, how did you stop drinking? Well, here's how I stopped drinking. I wrote about it in a book that had not yet been published. And in the book, I wrote the words, I stopped drinking for one year. So by the time this book comes out, I will have not had a drink for 328 days. I wrote it down as though it had already happened so that I was stuck to it. That was one. Two, I told everybody about it. I took everyone, I told everyone about the fact that I was not gonna drink. And I told them why I stopped drinking, which was the hard part. And it will be the hard part if you decide that you wanna like have to own the fact that you need to stop medicating, stop muting your feelings, stop doing those things. But I told everyone, and the reality was, I had a very, I thought, healthy, normal relationship with alcohol that when I was writing this book and scaling this business and figuring out how to work well with Rachel and dealing with the identity shift of having left Disney for the Hollis company, my casual relationship became uncasual. <laughs> it became serious and it turned what was me trying to mute something just so I didn't have to deal with some of the anxiety or some of the, the pain into something that was actually keeping me from appreciating the benefits of growth that come in the discomfort. And hear this, someone needs to hear this, I'm ending on this. Alcohol or anything that you use to mute your pain, there is no local anesthetic. There is no, alcohol is not a local anesthetic. So I was having a drink to calm my nerves and deal with my anxiety and beat back my fear. And if you mute the pain, you mute the joy. If you mute the anxiety, you mute the ability for you to get in a position to grow. And so here I'd left this thing I knew and all this certainty for this opportunity to become who I know I am meant to be, like the legacy of my life is being written in real time. The thing that I will be known for at the end of my life started two years ago. And the drinking would have kept that legacy from fully unfolding. So I had to stop drinking. I had to talk about it. And guess what? If you are someone who like knows deep down, man, I wish I could do this, but I have shame around it. Get over yourself. Your family deserves better. The people you love and are trying to show up for deserve better. But more than anything, when you are falling asleep at night by yourself, when you are alone in your thoughts, the person who deserves better more than anything is you. And the dissonance that exists between who you say you want to be and who you know yourself to be in the privacy of your head when you are putting your head down on a pillow, if you've had too much to drink for too many days in a row, that dissonance is shame, that dissonance is underfulfilled potential, that dissonance is pain. And you can take control of this 100%. You just have to commit to doing it and get over the worry that people are gonna judge you about it. Someone wants to judge me for not drinking, there is brokenness in their life if they wanna judge me for showing up for mine. I'm not here for it. And in, in more than anything, honestly, if someone wants to come at me, I want to come back at them with compassion and love because there's obviously brokenness in someone who wants to judge someone for owning their struggle. Y'all, 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 it's Wednesday. Rachel Hollis and I 
literally, Rachel Hollis, she's going to be back here tomorrow. Rachel Hollis is going to be back tomorrow for the Start Today Morning Show. I appreciate you all having been here. Let's go out and have a fantastic Wednesday. We will see you tomorrow, I think. Goodbye. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Start Today Morning Show podcast. If you want to actually see the episodes, make sure you tune in in the morning every weekday, 8 a.m. Central on Facebook and Instagram on basically every channel we have. Our theme song is from Sarah Sunshine. Follow her at the Sarah Sunshine. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and Kevin Westlake. With production help from Nicole Fisher. And I'd like to give special thanks to Hawk, the fish that will never die. <laughs>